Good evening. It's good to see you all tonight. It's just been a beautiful day. It's good to be with you yet one more time this week, and it would just be tacky of me if I didn't give some personal remarks, but it would also be tacky of me if I give too many, so I'm going to try to thread that needle. This congregation is just a really special group to me. I, I've known some of you all a long, long time, and, and you all have supported me and out of love and benevolence and to do the work in Georgetown, so you've supported Chris and the boys as well. I was trying to figure, at least since about 2015, does that sound about right? Something like that. I was, I was in a situation where I needed to get out of receiving support from one group, and I was standing right back there in the back, and David says, well, we're actually looking to try to help somebody. And it was just, it was obviously the providence of God. And I'm just so thankful for you all. You all have always been encouraging to me. I've always been encouraged by the work that you're all doing here and the stand you all have taken for the truth over the years. And I just want to encourage you all in that, to continue to do that. I know that you all have had your struggles. I know you all have your goals and things such as that. And I want to, I'm going to be praying for that. And if there's anything that I can do to help with that, I would expect you give me a call. Even if you need some lessons or whatever, anything, uh, I, I'm, I'm at your disposal, whatever it may be. I just really appreciate that. Real quick, I, I, I'm not good about sending letters about my labor. I, sometimes it goes two, three, four months, and somebody has to ch chase me down. And I apologize, but I try to get down and see you all. If you don't know, uh, Central's doing really well right now. We're very blessed. We're in a time of peace and stability right now. We're all praise to God. Um, we have three elders. I serve as one. We have currently three Four deacons. We're trying to get some more installed. We've grown a little bit over the past couple years. We're averaging, we usually have about a, uh, 10 or 12 visitors per Sunday. So we average around 60 to 65 on Sunday morning. So about 45 to 50 members. And so we're very blessed. We're very thankful for, for the growth and the blessings of the Lord. And you're always, always welcome uh, to come up and visit. So that's a quick update and a quick thank you. Thank you for the good meals and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, I really appreciate you all very much, and I love you, and I'll be praying for you. Let's get to the lesson. Unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness is one of the most outstanding sins of these evil days. In the business world, in the business world, a man's word with exceedingly rare exceptions is no longer his bond. In the social world, marital infidelity abounds on every hand. The, the sacred bonds of, of wedlock being broken with little regard, as, the, as little regard as, like as if you were just to discard an old pair of shoes or an old garment. In the religious realm, thousands who have solemnly covenanted to preach the truth to stand up and proclaim the truth of the gospel. And I'm not just talking in sound churches of Christ. I'm talking about across the religious realm. People who say they will only proclaim the Bible and, and God's word make no scruple to attack or neglect or, or deny the truth of Scripture. In truth, none of us, actually, none of us can claim complete immunity from this fearful sin. I ask it this way, in how many ways have you been unfaithful to Christ? And again, I'm not asking for, for feedback, of course, but, but think about the, the response and, uh, responsibilities and, and the privileges which God has entrusted to us that maybe we have through a moment of neglect or laziness or doubt or fear failed. So how refreshing, how refreshing is it how un unspeakably blessed 
to lift our eyes above this scene of ruin, this world, and behold one who is faithful, faithful in all things, faithful at all times. I want to take some time tonight as we have been meditating over all these lessons the past few days and consider what the scriptures teach about the faithfulness of God. I do hope these lessons have been helpful. I do hope you will take some of the lessons uh, that, that have been in these sermons and, and, and meditate on those. That's what they're designed to do. These aren't practical Christianity sermons. These are designed to help you deeply think about God, who he is, what he has revealed of himself in scripture, and come to know him better. I would anticipate if you'll, if you'll meditate on these lessons and others like them, your worship will, will improve in that you will actually have more to worship God for because you'll know him better. So tonight we want to talk about the faithfulness, <coughs> excuse me, the faithfulness of God. If you wanted to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7, I did, I hope that's a little bigger. Uh, today I played with the PowerPoint and I tried to make the font a little bit bigger. Uh, get a bigger screen, y'all. Get some big, big <laughs> flat screens TV up there. They are so worth it, by the way. If you're going to have this, the big flat screen TVs are so much better. Um, that's just my personal opinion. Um, but Deuteronomy chapter 7 is where we're going to start tonight. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, we read this. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for thousands of generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Just a profound statement of truth in scripture. One of those good ones to underline or highlight. Know God. Know that he is God. He is the faithful God. This quality, that God is faithful, is essential to his being. And we're going to explain and talk about why. Because without faithfulness, God wouldn't be God. The Hebrew word aman, that is translated as faithfulness or faithful, means reliable, faithful, trusty, or established. I like the word established. I think that one really captures this idea. He is established and reliable. The Lord is trustworthy. The Lord is reliable. To be otherwise would be, well, it would be to render him undependable and uncertain. And that cannot be our God. So faithful is the Lord that to be unfaithful would be to act contrary to his nature, which is utterly impossible. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you turn there with me and we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I want to notice verse 13, but let's back up to the whole, whole section and read verse 11 and following. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2 and 11. This is a faithful saying, Paul writes. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. To not be faithful would be to deny himself. It's, it's, it's to be contrary to his very nature. So he is faithful. Indeed, faithfulness is one of the glorious perfections of his being. So much so, we're going to go back to Psalm 89. I didn't realize when I put these lessons together how many times I go to the same Psalms or the same book of Job and things like that. But Psalm 89, verse 8. He is so faithful... And it's so much one of his glorious perfections that he is described as being clothed with faithfulness. Psalm 89, verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, 
Who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. It could loosely be translated as enrobes you or something such as that maybe in a way. This idea that he's surrounded by, it's almost as if he is, he is enrobed with faithfulness. It's almost as if it's clothing, if you will, and that it's all around him. Isaiah says in Isaiah 11 and verse 5 this, that when God became incarnate, righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Speaking of Jesus. God is faithful. God is reliable. God is trustworthy. He is established. He is faithfulness. Scripture speaks about the Lord's faithfulness over in Psalm 36. And you can just read here on the screen in Psalm 36. That far above all finite comprehension, which is where we're all at, far above all finite comprehension is the unchanging faithfulness of God. Your steadfast love, Psalm 36 verse 5 says, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. And that sounds pretty and all, but if you think back in the minds of the ancients, they were saying everything about God is great. Everything about God is vast, incomparable. He never forgets. He never fails. He never falters. He never forfeits his word. Numbers 23 in verse 19 says, God is not a human who lies or a mortal who changes his mind. When he says something, he will do it. That goes back to the decree of God lesson. When he makes a promise, he will fulfill it. This is speaking to this fact that every declaration, every promise, every prophecy of the Lord has exactly adhered to, its, to the very word and every engagement of, of covenant or even threatening against the wicked, he makes good. And, and this ties in with all these ideas we've talked about, but it's because he is faithful. Here's a scripture that you all have on the first slide. Every service, every service. You'll notice Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. I love this passage. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every service, you'll remember this lesson because you'll read that on the screen. This is the true exclamation of every believer. It's a perfect, perfect verse to have on your starting slide. Great is your faithfulness. God is faithful. God is trustworthy. God is reliable. God is established. And Scripture abounds. Scripture abounds in proofs of God's workings. The workings of God's uh, faithfulness is just, it's just all throughout the Bible. I just want to highlight just a few of these for your consideration tonight as we meditate on the faithfulness of God. We see God's faithfulness to not destroy the earth by water again when we read over in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22. Genesis 8 verse 22, turn there and read with me that, that many thousands of years ago, people try to guess when it happened and... Their guess is as good as anybody's. Many thousands of years ago, it's pretty, pretty, about as close as I'm going to get, he made a promise in Genesis 8, verse 22. <clears throat> now listen to what he says. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Now this is immediately after the flood. He makes this promise. What does it say? God is saying, I am faithful 
And the proof of my faithfulness is going to be seen every day, every year, every season. Every year brings a fresh witness to God's fulfillment and continuance of this promise, doesn't it? And we just think, oh, it's getting warmer again. Every, every season change all around us right now. It's been so much uh, fun driving back and forth every day. Your all's trees are about a week ahead of ours back home. So back home it's still kind of gray and a little bit green. Down here it's like poof, going out far down south to where the palmers and the hapas are. I mean, it's like, it's like a jungle down there compared to back home. And you see evidence and proof, yes, of God's hand, God's creation, but I also see proof of God's faithfulness. The fact that we have just gone from winter into spring proves he's faithful to this verse. We can see that visible proof. Every season change is a reminder that the Lord is and that he is uh, always will be faithful. You'll never think about seasons the same, will you? Every season change is proof. And, of course, yes, don't forget about all those rainbows. Rainbows are wonderful. Those are also visible promises. But you know what? We don't always get to see a rainbow every time it rains, but we can always count on day and night, cold and winter. And as long as they continue, God is faithful. His faithfulness is also seen in scriptures when we see time and time again uh, his dealings with Israel, but specifically his faithfulness to save Israel from slavery. This one's interesting to see because we can read about God's declaration to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 13. He said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. He's telling Abraham hundreds of years in advance that his descendants are going to be slaves in Egypt. Verse 14, and also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. There's the Exodus prophecy that was going to come true. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. We know that happened. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, this was given to Abraham hundreds of years. But this was no vain promise. It was declared. It was said. But then after this was said to Abraham, centuries ran their course. A lot of time passes. Abraham's descendants end up in Egypt. They were groaning under the brick kilns and the slave masters of Egypt. And I'm certain some of them must have wondered, has God forgotten him, uh, us and his promise? And the answer is, of course not. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 41. We know how it turns out. Exodus 12, 40. Actually, let's get verses 40 and 41. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years that on the very same day it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. He said back in Genesis 15 verse 13, 400 years. Exodus 12 and verse 41, 400 years. God is faithful. He never forgets his people. Now you should tie that right into he never forgets his people still. God proved his faithfulness in the birth of the Messiah. Through Isaiah, the Lord declared in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Turn there. We read Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, this was no vain promise. It was the promise of God himself... 
right? That's what Emmanuel means. It means God with us. It was the promise of God himself to become incarnate and deliver lost humanity. Again, God likes the passage of time. It's a test of his people, I think. About seven centuries passed. And did the Lord break his promise? Well, we know he didn't. Galatians 4, 4 says, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. God is faithful. And listen, these are just three. We could spend hours looking at example after example after example of the faithfulness of God. He has proven himself faithful time and again. We should never doubt it. And so that makes me, as I was studying this, it makes me think, okay, so he is faithful. But what does that mean? How do, I, how do I use that? Here's the discernment we need to gain today. God is, and this sounds very, very simple after all, that God is faithful, God is true, and his word of promise is sure. When we study this book, when we come together to worship, when we spend time in, in, in personal study and, and meditation, in all of his relations with his people, God is faithful. He may be safely relied on. In a world as chaotic and messed up as ours seems to be, getting more and more so every day, let me tell you this, no one ever yet really trusted God in vain. He is faithful. He can be safely relied upon. We find this precious truth expressed almost everywhere in Scripture. You can't get away from it in the book of Psalms. It's on every page. Every one of us needs to know that faithfulness is an essential part of the divine character of God. After all, this is the basis of our confidence in him. You ever really stop and ask yourself why? Why you believe in God? Well, the Bible says so, but why do you trust the Bible? If you keep asking enough questions, it's going to come down to the fact that you have faith that God is faithful. But it's one thing to accept the faithfulness of God as a divine truth. It's quite another to act upon it, is it not? Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. God is faithful. We believe that. So we must hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. God has given us exceeding, exceeding great promises. But are we really counting on his fulfillment of them? Are we actually, are we actually expecting him to do for us all that he has said? You need to answer that question in your own mind. Are you really expecting God to do for you all that he has promised? Are we resting with implicit assurance on his words? I'm right there with you. Life is chaos. And God is all about bringing order to chaos. And everything the adversary does is to bring about doubt and fear and chaos. The very fact that we get sick and we get old and we die makes us all feel uncertain, doesn't it? As we get older, we want to run to the doctor more. We, want to, we, we, get more, we get more concerned. 
You know, the truth is, the longer that we have been faithful to God, the more we should trust in his faithfulness. And I believe we do consciously, we, we accept it, we think about it, but we, how do we practice it? God is always faithful. He is always true. His word of promise is sure. Now, there are seasons in the lives of all, of all of us, when it's not easy, even for Christians, to believe that God is faithful. This, this is, unfortunately, fairly normal. There are times in every person's life that our faith is sorely tried, that our eyes are filled with tears, and we can no longer trace the outworkings of God's love. There are times when our ears are distracted with the noises of the world, and we're harassed by the atheistic whisperings of the adversary, and we can no longer hear the sweet, the sweet accents of that small, still voice. There come times when cherished plans get thwarted. Friends in whom we relied upon fail us, and a trusted brother and sister or sister in Christ betrays us. With all of this chaos, we become staggered, right? We sought to be faithful to God, and now, and now a, a dark cloud hides him from us. We, we find it difficult, even impossible, for carnal reasons, to harmonize his frowning providence with his gracious promises. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if you've ever been there. I, I have. To all such faltering souls and severely tried fellow pilgrims, maybe it's you this very night, I say pay attention to Isaiah 50 and verse 10. Isaiah 50 and verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. When you're tempted to doubt the faithfulness of God, why don't you just cry out, away with you, be gone, get thee hence, Satan. That's all it is. He's coming at you. Perhaps you cannot... Right now, when you're in the midst of that storm, you can't harmonize God's mysterious dealings. You can't figure it out with, you can't harmonize that with, with the, the sure declarations of his love that we can read about in scripture. Okay, wait on him. Don't give up on him. Wait on him for more light. He is faithful to enlighten. He is faithful to lead. He is faithful to his word of promise. We sing the hymn, In His Time, right? In His Time. In God's own good time, He will make it plain to you. I always like John chapter 13 and verse 7. Very practical, very practical words. Jesus speaking to His disciples. He says, you don't understand yet what I'm doing. You don't understand yet what I'm doing. But in time, you will understand. And we know there's very deep meaning in what He was saying there for those people in particular, but you may not understand what God's doing right now, yet, in your life, but you will. In time, you will. I say this because, I know this is so because, well, first of all, Scripture tells me, and God is, God is faithful to his word of promise. It is sure. Scripture tells me this. But I've been there, and I've proven it so. I have been there, had the choice, do I wait on the Lord? 
Wait for that understanding. Wait for his faithfulness to prove sure. Or do I just abandon ship and walk away? I could give you a story when I said, I'm, I'm done. I'm walking away. I'm never going to worship God again. I'm not going to church again. I remember that. And uh, I was 19. And I'm not going to tell you all the details of it, but it was, it was a time in my life. I said, I'm out. I'm done. I'm walking away. And my sister, the one you, well, you know both my sisters here, but my oldest sister, uh, Sarah, she said, why don't you just come to church with us? And I went over to Paris and met the good preacher there. He helped me. Long story short, I met Chris there. God God works in mysterious ways, and it was all, it's all worked out. I just had to wait. The passage of time will always prove that God has neither forsaken nor deceived his child. You're there in Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah chapter 30, <clears throat> and we read verse 18. Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. And therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. I came across a poem. I, I, I'm not much of a poet. I can write poetry, but I don't care for poetry. But this little poem caught my, caught my eye. And I like it. I'm going to read it for you. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are rich with mercy and shall break in blessing o'er your head. Psalm 119. You are righteous, O Lord, and your rulings are upright. You have commanded your instructions in righteousness and great faithfulness. In the Bible, God has not only told us the best, but here's, here's something else you've got to consider. We have all of this, and this is right at our fingertips. We have all this, but we also need to understand that the Lord has not. He has, he has told us the best. We've been talking about the best. <clears throat> but he has also not withheld the worst. What this means is that he has faithfully described the ruin which the fall, Genesis 3, the fall has affected. He has faithfully diagnosed the terrible state which sin has produced. God has faithfully made known his deep-rooted hatred of evil and that he must punish the same. God has faithfully warned us that he is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 29. Not only does his word abound in illustrations of his faithfulness in fulfilling his promises, especially to his people, but it also records numerous examples of his faithfulness in making good his threatenings. See, in the world today, especially the religious world, we don't want to talk about that side of God. That's kind of prickly. We don't want to talk about the threatening side of God. We only talk about the happy, fluffy puppy dogs and cotton candy side of God because it makes us feel good. I want to tell you something. The faithfulness of God includes the worst as well as the best. And what I mean by that is we can look through every stage of Israel's history and see proof of the fact that God comes true. He is faithful not only to his promises but also to his threatenings. And that has direct application for us, for humanity today. I mean, what about, I mean, we think about people like, um, oh, well, I mean, I'll just go back to Old Testament, Pharaoh. 
obviously Pharaoh, he didn't trust God. He didn't believe God he, in his threatenings, but God proved faithful. You got Korah and Achan and just a host of others. There's so many proofs. And thus it will be with you. Listen, it will be the same with you today unless you have fled or do flee to Christ for refuge. It's, it's, it's when, I, when I preach lessons like this, or any preacher for that matter, which, by the way, I'll be praying for Luke and his work, uh, he and Paige coming up. I, I'm excited about that. And when he stands up here, or any man stands up here and, and, and says these same types of words, I never can completely understand how somebody who has not, who has not submitted their life to Christ can sit and listen and not get so uncomfortable that they just run out. I, and I'm not judging. I'm not making fun. I don't understand that. When you know that God is faithful to keep his promises, but he's also faithful to fulfill his threatenings, how can you sit and do nothing about it if you haven't responded to the gospel? I, I don't understand that. And if you're here tonight in that situation, I, I pray for you. Because he's promised eternal doom and destruction upon all who refuse him in this life. Never forget, <clears throat> never forget, God is faithful in everything. Salvation and judgment. Especially towards his people, but to everyone in everything. So let's finish tonight on something of a kind of a positive. Let's talk about God's faithfulness towards his people. We are his people, right? We are his people today. God is faithful in preserving his people. Here's the promise that God will confirm unto the end his own people. Over in 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 1, we read here, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me get it turned over there real quick. I was way back in my Old Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's just read verses um, 6 through 9. I have just verse 9 on my outline here, but I have 6 through 9. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's start in verse 6. Indeed, the testimony about Messiah, the Christ, has been become firmly established in you so that you are not lacking any spiritual gift and are eagerly awaiting the revealing of our Lord Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. He will enable you to hold out until the end and thus be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 9, here it is. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, when we read Paul's confidence here, Paul's confidence is in the, in the absolute security of believers. So his confidence in that security, it wasn't founded on the strength of their resolution or their ability to persevere. That's not what his confidence was rooted in. His confidence was in the veracity of him who cannot lie. His confidence was in God and that he is faithful. Since God has promised to his son a certain people, you all understand that. God promised to his son a certain people for his inheritance, his bride, right? To deliver them from sin and condemnation and to make them participants of eternal life and glory, it's certain that he will not allow any of them to perish. Now think about that for a second. Those who are in Christ are the bride of Christ. God will not let them perish. All who respond to his sincere invitation of salvation have this sweet hope and firm confidence. Eternal life. 
It is this invitation, this is the one that, by the way, we always extend at the end of the sermon. I'll do that here in a minute. But the invitation to come into that sanctified relationship by faith, coming into submission, being baptized for the remission of sins, becoming, becoming a child of God, part of the bride of Christ, God will preserve his people because he's going to give his people to his son. The Lord will preserve his people, and God is faithful in disciplining his people. This, this doesn't sound positive, but it's actually extremely positive if you have the right perspective. God is faithful in what he withholds, no less than what he gives. Right? God is faithful in what he keeps back and what he gives. He is faithful in allowing sorrow in your life as well as in giving joy. He's faithful in both. The faithfulness of God is a truth to be confessed by by, by us not only when we're at ease, right? We need to confess the faithfulness of God not only when we're we're blessed and everything's good and and we're at ease, but also when we are smarting under the sharpest rebuke. There's this side of being a Christian that's testing and chastening of the Lord. They're two different things. They seem very similar, and we don't have time to get into it tonight, but but all of God's people are tested, and very often God's people are chastened. And when we are going through those times of rebuke, we have to be ready to to respond. When God smites us, when God comes in and whaps us with the rod of chastisement. And that's what chastisement is. Chastisement is when God is trying to correct something in his people. Testing is when he's just allowing us to go through something so as to become more pure in our faith. Chastisement is when he's trying to Get you to, well, like a parent, you chastise your child to get them to, to change their behavior. God does the same with us. And when we are under that rod, we need to understand it is the faithfulness of a loving father who wields it. You know, parents always say to the kid, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And, and I, I always thought my parents were such liars when they said that until I actually had to do that <laughs> to my kids. And it's, it's terrible, but I, I never, ever punished my sons when I wasn't crying with them. And I felt it too. To to understand that our Father will correct us, to acknowledge this means that we humble ourselves before him when he is chastising us. That we humble ourselves before him and we own that we fully deserve his correction and instead of murmuring, we thank him for it. God never corrects us without reason. You can take comfort in that. If God is correcting you, and, and if you want to more about how to tell the difference between testing and chastening, I, I'd be glad to talk to you afterwards about it. There's ways to tell. When we are chastened by the Lord, he never corrects without reason. And so if we can figure out what that reason is and we can correct, then the chastening stops. And so when his rod falls upon us, let us say with Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 7, To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us today belongs shame. To us, the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, including those nearby and those far away, throughout all the countries where you have driven them, because they broke faith with you. David was owning up to the correction that the people of God needed to own up to. We need to be like that. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 119. In verses 14 through 16, I rejoice in the way of your instruction more than in any kind of wealth. 
I will meditate on your precepts and keep my eyes on your ways. I will find my delight in your regulations. I will not forget your word. It is a sign of spiritual maturity and wisdom to recognize chastening and that it is a faithful, loving God who is doing the chastening and to correct when he chastens. Trouble and affliction are not only consistent with God's love pledged in the everlasting covenant, but they are parts of the administration of the same. God is not only faithful through afflictions, but he is faithful in sending them to his children whom he loves. I'm not saying God sends evil. God chastises, he corrects, he disciplines those whom he loves. Back to Psalm 89, one more time. Psalm 89. And we can read here in Psalm 89, in verse 32 and 33. Then I will punish their transgressions with the rod, and their iniquities with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will, I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. God says, I'm going to correct them. I'm going to punish them. I'm going to deal with my people, but I won't withdraw my grace from the house of David. I won't be false to my covenant. I will not profane it. Chastening is not only reconcilable with God's loving kindness, but it is the effect of God's loving kindness and the expression of it. A parent who doesn't discipline their child doesn't truly love their child, do they? It would be much, in fact, I think it would very much quieten the minds of God's people if they would remember that his covenant love binds him to lay on us seasonable correction. Afflictions are necessary for us. Hosea 5.15 says it this way, In their affliction they will seek me early. God is faithful in disciplining his people. And when it comes to those seasons of life, don't curse God and die or something stupid like that. Correct. Adjust. That course correction, listening, responding to that chastening of the Lord, that's part of the faithfulness of God. It's a blessing. And God is faithful in glorifying his people as well, brothers and sisters. God is faithful in in glorifying his people. Paul writes of the preservation of the righteous unto the coming of our Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We read this in one of the lessons previous, but let's go back again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verses 23 and 24, please. says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of of our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls you, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. God treats us not on the ground of our merits, because we, we have none. God doesn't treat us on the grounds of our merits, but for his own great name's sake. God is, God is unchangeable, but he's unchangeable to himself and to his own purpose of grace, whom he called. And those whom he called, he also glorified. We've read, I feel like we've read so many of the same verses. Maybe that's good, I, I guess. I hope you, don't, hope you don't mind the same verses over and over. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. 
Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. God gives a full demonstration of the steadiness of his everlasting goodness towards his elect by effectually calling them out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this should fully assure us of the certain continuance of the steadiness of his everlasting goodness. Let's go back to 2 Timothy 2, 19. Therefore, nevertheless, he says, nevertheless, the solid, let me get to it, I don't want to make sure I don't get it wrong. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. I love that phrase. That's so important. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. We don't have time to go back to, to Numbers chapter 16 and verse 5 and really understand the whole context. I, I encourage you to study that sometime. But Paul here was resting on the faithfulness of God when he wrote just a few lines prior to this one, when he wrote of his firm confidence in God, when he writes this, <clears throat> For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. That's 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. The understanding of this blessed truth will preserve us from worry. I am just always, I mean, God talks about worry in the Bible. He tells us to be anxious for nothing in verses like that. But I'm always so amazed how quickly worry can consume. Worry, anxiety, everybody, and I'm not making fun. Everybody today seems to struggle with anxiety, or at least on some level or something. It just seems like everybody's having this problem. Listen, that's because we're under assault from the adversary. To be full of care, to view our situation with dark forebodings, to anticipate tomorrow with sad anxiety. Brothers and sisters, this reflects upon our belief in the faithfulness of God. Or perhaps the lack thereof. And what I mean is that is, is, think about this. He who cared for his child, you, through all the years, will not forsake you at old age. God is faithful. He who has heard your prayers in the past, he will not refuse to supply your needs in the present emergency. Because he is faithful. You need to find your confidence. If you're struggling with this, and everybody struggles with it from time to time, some more than others, if you're struggling with this, fear and worry and anxiety, you need to find your confidence in who the Lord is. The last passage we want to turn to and read tonight and in this series of lessons is in Job chapter 5. Job chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Behold, Happy is the man whom God corrects. There's the chastening of the Lord. Therefore do not despise the chastening of the Almighty, for he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles, yes, in seven no evil shall touch you. In famine he shall redeem you from death, and in war from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue, and you shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. 
You shall laugh at destruction and famine, and you shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth. For you shall have a covenant with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is in peace. You shall visit your dwelling and find nothing amiss. You shall also know that your descendants shall be many, and your offspring like the grass of the field. You shall come to the grave at a full age. As a sheaf of grain ripens in its season, behold, this we have searched out. It is true. Hear it and know for yourself. I'm not negating time and chance. I understand. In fact, some in this room would say, well, that's not how it's worked out for me. Okay. I'm just, what I want you to think about, the apprehension of this blessed truth will check our murmuring. The Lord knows what is best for each of us. And one effect or or resting on this truth will be the silencing of our rude and even foolish complainings. God is greatly honored when under trial and under chastening, we have good thoughts of him. God is greatly honored when under trial, we, we vindicate his wisdom and his justice. And we recognize in times of chastening his love in his very rebukes. Because we know that his goal is our future glorification. God is faithful. Always faithful. And ever faithful. Brothers and sisters, as we conclude, in comprehension of this blessed truth. Right? Comprehending it will increase your confidence in God. Absolutely, 100% guarantee it. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, so let those who are suffering according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator by continuing to do what is good. When we trustfully resign ourselves and all our affairs unto God's hands, fully persuaded of his love and faithfulness, the sooner The sooner we do that, the sooner we shall be satisfied with his providence and realize that he doeth all things well. I know that's counter to mainstream human thinking. I'll figure it out. I'll sort it out. I'll get it. I'll do it. But brothers and sisters, we need to entrust ourselves to a living God, a faithful God who doeth all things well. Well, I promised to extend the Lord's invitation. Let let me do that now. This last time in this series of of lessons, the Lord's invitation is very simple. It's it's very, very simple. We we have a beautiful uh, passage over in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who are struggling and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know why I didn't know this, and I'm sure some of you did know this, but do you know Jesus is actually quoting or referencing back to Jeremiah 6 and verse 16 there? I just came across this not too long ago. Jesus quoting the prophet Jeremiah, here is what the Lord says. This is what Yahweh says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask about the ancient paths. Which one is the good way? Take it, and you will find rest for your souls. He's actually quoting there. 
It's an invitation extended by the faithful one, by God, to all humanity. This is his invitation. When we extend the invitation, we're extending this. Whatever man is standing here, he's extending, he's supposed to be, extending this invitation. It's an invitation to receive rest. It's an invitation to receive salvation. It's an invitation to receive deliverance if we walk in the ancient paths, the good way. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is his invitation. Come unto me, he said. He is the way and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus has made the way. Jesus extends the invitation to everyone sitting here tonight. As I said before, I do not know your soul's condition. The Lord does and you do. He extends the invitation to rest and deliverance, salvation. But from what? From what? Jeremiah spoke of a way to avoid the impending judgment of the Lord. And so does Jesus. Today, it's in reference to the day of the Lord, when the Lord will return and ungodly people will be destroyed. Go read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, or read it up here on the wall behind me. When God returns, when Jesus returns to destroy the ungodly and save everyone who has turned from their sins. And Jesus, Jesus invites you to come to him and find the safety of a sanctified life in him. Peter worded it this way. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Brothers and sisters, my friends, this, this is the invitation. This is the way to be freed from sin, freed from death. And saved from the coming day of wrath. If you are not a saved, redeemed, born again child of God. You need to know that only the blood of the faithful one can wash away your sins. You need to know that only in baptism can we contact that precious blood. Jesus said, I shed my blood for the remission of sins. Matthew 26, 28. Peter says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. It's where we contact the blood of Jesus friend of mine who's from Albany, he says, the blood of Jesus filled the baptistry. I, I like that. Good old country boy. The blood filled the baptistry. Only you can choose to accept the Lord's invitation. We're going to sing this song now. Come, sinner, come. It's not meant to be insulting, calling you names like sinner or anything like that. But if you are in your sin, you are a sinner. Everybody has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. But you don't have to remain that way. Accept the Lord's invitation, come to him, and receive forgiveness of your sins tonight. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you want to do that, please come to the front. Let us know how we can help you as together we stand to sing.